Welcome to the Ray Harryhausen Podcast, the show dedicated to the life, career and films of a special effects titan. Join us as we host in-depth discussions about the work, influences and legacy of this uniquely talented filmmaker. Brought to you by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, we will be delving into Ray's archive to bring a unique insight into his work, including exclusive audio from the man himself from our own archives. We will be joined by special guests for retrospectives, exclusive announcements and competitions. So this podcast is a must-listen for all fans of the world of Ray Harryhausen, animation and classic filmmaking. Welcome to episode 6 of the Ray Harryhausen podcast and you join us for a very special edition of our podcast today as we mark the anniversary of Ray Harryhausen's birthday. I'm joined by two special guests today. Firstly, Foundation Trustee John Walsh. How are you, John? I'm very well, Connor. Good to hear you. And second of all, Ray Harryhausen's daughter and also Foundation Trustee, Vanessa Harryhausen. Vanessa, thank you for joining us today. How are you? Thank you. Um, Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for agreeing to appear on our podcast. I know a lot of fans are really excited to hear from you. It's been a while since you have done any interviews and... This is the first recorded interview you've done in a long time. So we're looking to just hear a little bit more about growing up with with Ray and some of the anecdotes you have from behind the scenes with your father. And this should be a really fun chat and I hope you enjoy reminiscing as well. I'm sure I will and I hope I can answer all the questions. There look some good questions here. Our fantastic fans on Facebook and Twitter have contributed a lot of great questions. We're going to start with one from Richard Catazzoni. And Richard is a fan who communicated with your father in the past, but still had a couple of unanswered questions. And he wonders, as most of us all face at some point in production, if he ever wondered if he would get it done on time with all that he had to do. So he had decades of experience, but everybody has those times when you realise how little time that you have left for so much work. But do you ever hear him voice that concern as you were growing up? I think, yeah, um, I'm sure he did worry because um, everyone has deadlines on films and and especially with the animation and everything. Um, But he always seemed to come through in the end. So um, he didn't really voice him too much. But yeah, I I guess like normal people, he just worried. But he fulfilled the end. Did you ever come home from a hard day at work and did you ever get the impression like, how am I going to get all this done? No, or not really. Always have a, he always seemed to have it under control. I guess he, he planned in advance so well with the, all yeah, his work. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. And he also spent many a night in the studio doing extra work if he couldn't if he thought he couldn't meet, meet a deadline. Because uh, many a night mum would say, oh, he's at the studio again. So, that, you know. He'd just be putting, yeah. putting the extra shifts and yeah. then get, getting it done. Um, Richard, also there was a second part to Richard's question. Um, if there was any particular model or piece of animation that wowed you. So you grew up with all of your father's work, but was there anything in particular that surprised even you? Um, it was really all amazing. Um, it was really magical being able to see the very beginning of his creativity from pictures or drawings right through to the armature and the model and the latex and then being put into the oven and it all coming out it was just all really magical and I guess at an early age I I sort of realized there was a lot of magic in the house as you'd like to say um my favorite I guess would be Guanji I have lots I think it was all just spectacular 
Well, it's interesting Vanessa's mentioned Guanji, the Valley of Guanji. Throughout this podcast, we're going to have some very exclusive clips um, that haven't been heard before of Vanessa chatting with her father, Ray Harryhausen, during the commentary recording for the Valley of Guanji that was done about two or three years ago um, by, by my sort of film team. So um, we'll be hearing some of those interspersed in this um, in this wonderful interview. So we'll be hearing from the great man himself, which is fantastic. That was in his house, wasn't it? It was indeed. We 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 did yeah, all of the commentary yeah. records in in the TV room. Is it right to say, Vanessa? You called it the TV yeah. room, yeah, where the uh, fabulous awards and uh, fantastic Joseph Gandhi painting was, and we have a, a very exclusive update about that painting a little bit later on as well. So, lots to get through. So I'll I'll crack on with the next set of questions. This is from Tony Laudassi. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. My apologies if not. Tony was wondering, Vanessa whether you watched your father making the models and whether you and your mum ever sort of went to the studios and, and watched him animate them and saw some of the sort of magic process. Yes, from a very early age, I had the um, wonderful opportunity to see him creating them in his workshop up in the top floor of Ilchester. And um, it was it was amazing. And yes, we would go to the studio and see him doing some of the animation and and um, with a blue screen in the background. Um, so yeah, we, we had that, that privilege. So when you say the blue screen in the background, this is the fanboy, I mean, I need to know. Which film was that and what was the creature and do you remember the sequence? And it's okay if you don't, it's just... Oh my Lord. I'm trying to picture um, it. I'm trying to think. Maybe one of them, I think, was Golden Voyage, a backdrop for that, but I can't remember which creature. Um, I know there was a scene where we came in and there was either a blue or a green screen. Does that sound right? A green screen? Um, and I think it had one of his models there. And I would like to say it was Medusa, but I can't. I wouldn't like to give the wrong impression. I think it was Medusa at the time. Very exciting stuff. Now, Tony goes on to ask as well, um, what did your classmates think? Because um, effectively you, had a, you, know, you grew up with a famous parents in a, in, a, in a way you know so what did they think about um, what your father was doing and was that a good or a bad thing that they knew well I went to boarding school so um, friends only came back this sounds really sad um, you know if we had holidays and stuff um, and then they would only if I was allowed to take them upstairs they'd come and see all his creatures in the wonderful display cabinets and that and then they sort of found out who he was and oh my gosh you know um, but otherwise from that, we, we, it wasn't that I was ashamed, but I just didn't feel like it was necessary to sort of say, well, my dad does this and that. If they saw his name on TV, that was it. But they mostly treated me quite normally, and I think. <laughs> That's good to hear, isn't it? So um, did, um, did Ray ever regret retiring? That's one of the questions Tony has asked. I don't think so. I think by the end of Clash, I think he just realised there was new stuff coming on and it was time for somebody to somebody else or other folk to step up to the mark really and he wasn't somebody who who'd 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 sit back and put his feet up because he was always very busy even in those what we'd call retirement years he wasn't actually retired was he Vanessa what what was going on um people used him in a lot of advisory capacity you know would ring him up and ask him about this and that and I think he took little sequins in um John Landis's films, you know, Spies Like Us and, and other cameo parts, you know, and then he'd do lectures and stuff. So I, d I don't think he really missed the, f the film bit too much. 
Well, he had the opportunity to be sort of lauded effectively with the wonderful books he wrote. He gave lots of talks, the exhibitions of the creatures. Yeah. It was great that he was kind of free of the shackles of the, the grind of production so that he could actually be appreciated because all of those young people who went to see his films as children grew up and became filmmakers themselves. And of course, now kind of worship at the altar of, of Ray Harryhausen without putting it too dramatically. Um, and, and Tony's final question is, um, does Vanessa see her dad in the performances of his stop motion characters? Well, the only thing that I, I funny enough, I said this to Connor earlier, when daddy used to have odd days of frustration, he used to thump the table and he used to, it used to remind me of Mighty Joe Young, you know, in the, the scene where Joe thumps his arm down on the, I don't know if it's on the ground or on a, a cage of where the lion is, but with frustration. And Dad used to do that same movement. And I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to say that my dad looks like or acted like a gorilla, but, you know, he just had that sort of motion and that, that arm movement. Oh, that's fabulous. That he brings part of himself. Absolutely. It does make perfect sense. And of course, your father was a great people watcher because he was great with casting with actors. So you'd imagine that all of those kind of things that he watched would be infused into the, the characters and the performances of, of the creatures. Because, of course, other than them being technically excellent, they do have to give different character emotions. We think of Calabos and Medusa in Clash of the Titans as being, you know, quite sort of evil characters and then you have Bubo the owl and Pegasus quite graceful and, and comedic characters so he had to be quite a performer and an actor really excellent well we've got a, got a question here from Angus Lamont now Angus is a, a young animator himself and so I wonder if he's asking this question to try and get some ideas from you because he wondered if you ever had any input into your dad's films no I don't think so at all daddy had all his secret ideas well well before us and would speak his voice about ideas and that, but no, no input from mum on me. Did you ever <clears throat> help him to select uh, parts for his models? or? Okay, well, yes, sometimes. He used to have a box of um, toys, eyeballs, you know, for the models. And sometimes, I know in my younger days, I don't know, when I was nine, ten, if he was finishing a dinosaur or something, you'd say, oh, do you want to come and choose some eyeballs? And What colour would you want? So we'd choose... A color for a various creature or whatever and then it'd be put in so were you were you partially responsible for the famous medusa stare no that, that wasn't <laughs> no, your, I can't take that wasn't your idea that. damn no. that, that would have been a good one yeah now vanessa from uh, from the commentary which john mentioned earlier we've got some great clips of yourself and your dad chatting mm -hmm. about your favorite or what i assume is one of your favourites, the Valley of Guanji. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you were asking him, peppered throughout the commentary, you're asking him questions about sound effects and about how you how he choreographed the horses, because uh -huh. there's a lot of horses in Guanji. So we're just going to play a couple of those clips now, and it's, it's really interesting to hear your dad laughing at some of your questions and okay. joining in, okay, listening to you chat together. So did Gila know how to ride anyway? Or uh, did you have to teach her? Did she have to have lessons? What? Gila, did she have to have lessons to ride or did she know how to ride? Uh, she apparently knew how to oh, ride. Right. I never asked her whether she took lessons. Was it he or she, the you hippos? even discussed it. <laughs> okay, we have to guess. <laughs> but where there's one hippopotamus, uh, there must be others. So when you watch a film like this, do you always think of all the bits that you like split screen well, I see and them things? Differently. Yeah. yeah. Does it spoil it for you? 
What? When you look back and you know, oh, in this scene I did this. Well, you think, you like to say, think you could do a little better. <laughs> These were unusual rock formations. They look sharp. Were they sharp? They were sharp. Oh, they look sharp. Aye. You cut yourself on them. Yeah. So what did you do to get the horses to do that? Well, the horses did that normally. Uh, and then I timed uh, the, the, the here. We picked uh, the boy up with the crane. Nice. It's a double, of course. I like your snapping scene. I remember in the church, the, the snapping yeah. sound. <laughs> the sound yes. department wanted to, they had clamps, I think. They, they grew together so that it sounds like the teeth. But I have a question for you, Dad. What? In the last scene, his mouth was tied, so why wasn't his mouth still tied? <laughs> well, they got him in the cage Ooh. now and they untied his mouth. Okay. He's got to eat or he'll yeah. die. Surely he could have reached the poles to eat, to pull them when he's in the carriage. <laughs> it's a funny thing, you know, when we think back, and Vanessa's thinking back, when I think back, I saw Vanessa in the late uh, 1980s when I came to your father's house. And Gosh, yeah. your mum had got me some tea and biscuits while I was waiting for your father. And uh, you came running in and your mum said, oh, say hi to John. He's come to, to meet your father about a documentary. And you hi, John. And you ran back out again. So, <laughs> it's, uh, I know. We'd have all, all sorts of people turn up and, oh, darling, go and say hello to so-and-so. And I'd go, oh, OK, fine. Hi. Bye. <laughs> so being the daughter of an animator, then, you must have had, and this is a question from Michael Tharm, because he's asked, What's it, what was it like growing up? And what was your favourite memories? The house must have been busy. I mean, you had very well-known people like Bernard Herrmann, of course, the producer Charles Schneer, and lots of actors and actresses. So it must have been, it must have, to, to an outsider's eye, it must have felt like quite a glamorous place to have grown up. Um, sort of. It just, I mean, I guess you get used to, this sounds so, um, you get used to, I got used to people just turning up and being there for dad or coming in for coffee or just dropping in because they were passing by. So um, you just sort of took it in your stride, really. And and they were all very lovely people and just, you know, like we're chatting now, they just chat away. Michael Tharm also asks, what was your favourite memory of your parents? It's always hard that and at different times in your life, it's the memories can change, can't they? But uh what when I say that kind of springs to mind about about your father Ray and your mother, your beautiful and glamorous mother Diana. Um, well, I guess the holidays in California at the Palisades. Um, you know, we uh, in the holidays we used to go to Disneyland, and it you know we'd either take Uncle Forry, or sometimes Ray Bradbury would go with us, um, or it'd just be Mum, Dad, and myself. Um, and it would just we'd just be fun, you know, just just doing family stuff really. Um, he had a great sense of humour, very naughty, um, and mum was a lot of fun too. So it was just good, happy memories, really, and, and lots of laughs. And when you say Uncle Forry, you mean Forrest J. Ackerman, of course, the very famous yeah. creator of uh, the Monsters in Movie Land. Is it Monsters in Movie Land, Connor, if I said that correctly? Fam fa famous Monsters. Famous Monsters, the film land. And it's funny because what we're doing just now is obviously counting down to race centenary in 2020. Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine right now are planning their celebrations for Forry's centenary, which is this year in November. 
So it's quite interesting. It'd be quite interesting to get some of your memories of of him, Vanessa. Do you have any? Well, yeah, we used to go over, you know, sometimes some weekends and and, and see Fari. And he used to this uh, take me upstairs, and he had this big spare room, and on the bed he used to put all these heads of like Dracula, Frankenstein, and it would just be like rubber casts, sort of of the heads. And he used to put them all in the bed like they were all in there together. Um, and uh, and that was that was fun. No, that's I always find it fascinating. And it's one of many, many interesting aspects of your father's life that his two best friends went on to become legends in their own, you know, three different fields. But you had Ray Bradbury, who's a very famous science fiction author, and then Forrest Jackerman, who's just a complete legend of, mm-hmm. of that kind of fandom and horror fantasy sci-fi and at one point held the largest sci-fi collection in the world and these three teenage boys went on to become legends in their own lifetimes. I know it's extraordinary isn't it and best friends and they stayed lifelong friends for a very very long time. And I love the footage of the three of them chatting about King Kong. I think it's an extra on the early days DVD because the three of them are chatting together and then the armature of the original King Kong is placed in front of them. And you can just see the years drop. They just turn into teenage boys again. They do. You see, when they got together, they were like naughty juveniles. And it was so much fun to watch. It was just a pleasure to see them all frolicking around and and ribbing each other. And do you remember this? And oh, I remember that. And then they'd have a polite argument about something one remembered and the other didn't. But it was great. It was was very happy days and happy memories. Very inspiring too. I think Absolutely. everybody would like to have yeah. friendship like that that lasts yeah. up until your your eighties and nineties. <clears throat> That's probably a nice segue now to go into a clip where you're chatting with your father about Guanji in Harrods, and as you say, your father's got an infectious laugh. So let's have a listen. Professor, there's a big lizard back there, and he's heading his way now. Get aboard! My mum used to go to Harrods quite a lot and shop, as one does, and. Um, I guess we got stopped by some ladies who wanted to have a look at my dollies and I pulled back the covers and they were horrified <laughs> that it wasn't dollies, it was a dinosaur and said I would never be right again <laughs> or something to that effect. I mean, I was about four I years old. Diana said that, they said, the old woman said, why can't you get that child a proper dog, a proper doll? But I think there's a newspaper clipping or something of it too, was in the paper and that too. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, you and your father, you'd, you'd go out, you'd see people, you'd socialise. And that clip that we heard about you discussing Guanji and Harrods, I think it's a good example of how close you were as a family. I mean, he was a he was um, a very inclusive person. You know, Ray was somebody who'd always find time for people, even if they were just amateurs or people sending something through. Was he very patient with you, Vanessa, when you when you were growing up? Um, yeah, he was. He was. Um... He believed in manners. He believed children should be seen and not heard. Very old-fashioned, but um, very kind, um, strict. Um, and um, mum was probably more stricter than um, dad. He was a little bit of a softie on some points, but you know, it was he was. They were both good parents. You know, again, happy memories. And of course, your mum sometimes would be a bit cross with your father. Here comes yet another piece from the commentary. Oh gosh, yes. And I recorded with um, your father or you chatting about uh, cooked rubber in the in the home kitchen when the Pinky the elephant was being was being created. 
Yeah, with the moulds and that and the smell of rubber forever. It was horrendous. Because you'd have aftertastes and the chicken and, and the meals afterwards. It was, you know, but you got used to it. So but the smell, even now when you smell the rubber, you know, when you open the cabinets and that, and things smell of rubber for ages and ages. You just lived with it. It was one of those things, you know. So you, from that clip, were telling us that um, some of your meals would taste of the rubber from the creatures themselves. Many a fanboy would like to have joined in on those meals. But of course, that must have caused some consternation <laughs> I don't, I don't in the household. Know. Yeah, um, I think he only used the, the mum's oven a couple of times because his, he was waiting for a new oven for himself, a new kiln for himself. Um, and I think the final straw was also using mum's Moola mix for the the latex rubber for the moulds and that. Um, but, you know, it all passed okay. And uh, we just had um, meals that tasted like rubber for a few days. and But it was interesting, you know, we all laughed about it. Brilliant. Well, I think Connor's probably got some more questions. Connor? Yes, well, we're going to our, some of our Twitter followers now. And um, we have uh, George Guzman. And he'd like to know whether you were ever allowed to play with the puppets and armatures. Now, we've just heard about Guanji, mm -hmm. and Guanji was the one that you had in your in your pram. Were there any other of the models or armatures that you were able to play with? Yes. Um, I don't know why I called the elephant and Guanji Pinky. It must have been the, to do with the, um, I don't know, I guess the headpiece that the, the elephant had on it, and it, had, it was like a, a red harness with studs in it and I can I only think as a child that I related to it as a pink thing so um that's why I called the elephant pinky but um that yeah we're going back to the question um when I went up to visit dad sometimes I'd get the the elephant out and this particular time he he was feeding it Maltesers and these Maltesers would disappear and somehow he distracted me from looking at what the elephant was doing oh my gosh the elephant ate the, the Maltesers and this particular time, um, he asked me to go in uh, to his drawer at his desk to get something else out. And I, I opened the drawer and all these Maltesers came rolling, t rolling towards me. So I sort of sussed out pretty quickly that the elephant hadn't actually eaten the Maltesers. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, and I, just, I was allowed to handle quite a few of them, really. I remember you mentioned the alligator once from there. Yeah, uh... from Gulliver. Yeah, that was in my playroom. On the, I don't know why it was on the sill, but I think that got a sad end. It was used for something else in the end. Yeah, that was one, because we have a replica, an exact replica in the collection. Uh -huh. But you had the original. You actually yeah, had the yeah, original. Yeah, yeah. That was... I used to put my fingers in its mouth and play with the teeth. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would do that to a real one, I can tell you that. No, absolutely. Well, another question from, from George, and this is quite a, a simple and straightforward one. I think we know the answer, but we'll just verify that. Which of all your father's movies is your favourite? Well, Guanji, yes. But I actually have a lot more. Um, I loved The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. I loved Gulliver. I loved... I was on the set for um, Golden Voyage and The Eye of the Tiger. So those are the ones that sort of strike me most. And what's your memories of uh, Golden Voyage in particular? Because that's one of my favourites as well. I mean... I like them all, but Golden Voyage is a special film, I think. And, you know, you would have been, I guess, the right age to remember, start yeah, getting well, strong memories of being do you, do you remember the scene with the Fountain of Destiny? Yes, of when course. We got onto that set and we went down those steps and saw the the whole 
fountain there. That was amazing. Um, but that was one of the sets I do remember. And also the other one that I remember is um, Clash of the Titans. This poor man who gets shot with an arrow in Medusa's lair, you know, before Perseus chops mm. her head off. And this poor, this poor actor, I don't know how many times he had to do the scene, like four or five times with this darn arrow going to his bat and falling into this pool. And I just felt so sorry for him. But they got the clip in the end, so, and it looks really good. Well, we've got a wonderful picture of you on, on set on Clash of the Titans, tied up like Andromeda against oh the rocks waiting for the Kraken. Uh, we can keep it private if you like, but I found that when I was, when I was looking through the archive, I found a great picture of, uh, of Vanessa up against the rocks, chained. Yeah, they want to. Th- apparently, I was the same height as Judy Bowker, and they just wanted to see the height and and that for camera shots. So that's how I was just. Thank God they didn't lock me in the shackles there. You could have been a stunt double or something. No, there. no, 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 no. <laughs> Can I just say something? I have a little memory that um, before the film went out, a friend of mine visited um, that I went to boarding school, and she came to, to came to the house. And at that point, Dad had just done the Scorpions. And they were quite big scorpions. They, I mean, you know, big models. Mm. And he was drying them all on the patio up in the garden. And she looked at, we were having tea in the in the little study. And she looked out and she went, oh my God, do you know that you've got scorpions on your patio? And I went, yep, they're just drying. And she went, not everybody has scorpions on the patio. Are they real? And I went, not that size, no. <laughs> <laughs> and that's... That's what I have a memory of just before the... Because you've spoken in the past about how the models were like your brothers and sisters. Yeah. Is that all the models? Did you feel that way about the scorpions or were they maybe... maybe well, like different? Uh, unfortunately, when Dad was modelling those, he had a, a box of dead ones for, for studying, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's some that I like more than others, but they're all, you know, relative, so... Well, we all, we all know that Guanju was your number your number one. That's uh, oh. that's the famous one. All, all those uh, all those bite marks on Guanju, we all know where they came from. Oh, now. Really? Now you know why his jaw's falling off. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you're you're the one person that can get away with that, so oh. so it's fine. And Vanessa, can I ask on on I the Tiger and Golden Voyage? Of course, you became very uh-huh. friendly with some of the leading ladies, with Caroline Monroe who played Mariana, and of course with uh-huh. Jane Seymour on I the Tiger. How how do you find? Uh, working with both of them or at least you know being on set with them they were just normal normal lovely girls I didn't really um I can't remember if I actually spoke with Jane but I did with um Caroline and her daughter and me went to boarding school together and we've been friends since we're about seven years old and still in touch today so our friendship is very very close um but just they were just normal people doing a job really i know that sounds so corny but it's just how i sort of saw it really and some of these people like caroline monroe came back and in recent years worked with your father on the commentary recordings and stayed in touch so he was a great person for keeping in touch with people and people kept in touch with him it wasn't just the job's finished now i'm off um no he, no, he no, was a yeah. collector of friendships wasn't he yeah he 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 held friendships very dearly um, and uh, thought Caroline was very special, and and a lot of the other actors and and film crew and that who who helped him along, you know. And when you mentioned Gulliver, um, of course, the Three Worlds of Gulliver had a spectacular royal premiere in London. Were were you allowed to go along to that? 
I don't think I went to that. No, I don't. I might have been in boarding school or something at the time. I just remember I liked the film and the squirrel and. You would have been a baby when Gulliver uh, came out. You would have been a bit, a bit yeah, younger. Yeah, but it was later on. Yeah, yeah, when you saw the. Yeah, it was the just defeats. later on that I liked the film. It was just mm. uh, just one of my favourites. That's all. Now moving on, Frederick um, on uh, Twitter has asked, um, "What's what's her first memory of her dad's work?" So that means what's Vanessa's memory, first memory of her dad's work? Do you remember what might be your very very first memory? Probably going up to his studio in in the house and seeing him at his storyboards. You know, doing the sketches for um, the actors and actresses and then it progressing. I, I mean, I used to come in at various times whenever and he might be doing a sculpture or he might be doing a plasticine model of a creature that he was going to make later on. Um, and those are just probably the sketching is when I, I used to see him doing um, the sketching for Golden Voyage and, and other of the pictures. And they were just amazing. Now, the, the last question that we have um, formally that uh, we're going to ask you to say is from Ian, at Geeky Chappie, on Twitter. And he says, I'd be interested to know how Vanessa feels about uh, very famous actors and directors fanboying over, over Ray's work. I mean, since he has retired, and we talked about the retirement years there briefly, he's been able to appreciate all of those people who appreciate his work. And it's quite a who's who's list including famous actors who've come to the house and very famous directors. Um, who who are some of the, the big names that you can tell us about that, that came to the house that maybe you might, you might have missed out on? Um, Landis, John Landis, um, Randy Kirk, um, Spielberg, um, Johnny Depp. You know, they were all the amazing people. And, and Dad was always very humbled and uh, by them all. And he never... He never really boasted about anything, and he always said, I think it was either in the um, speech for the Academy or the um, BAFTA, you know, if it wasn't for my fans and the other people out there, I would be nothing. And it's it's a good thing to remember that. And, and I feel humble. I was, I was extraordinary. I was brought to tears when I saw them all come out. Half of Hollywood turned out for the Academy thing and BAFTA. I mean, how humbling is that when you've got all these famous actors and, and, and film producers going there? Even Dad was amazed too. Um, and I think if you keep humble and just remember your origins, and Dad always did... Um, you know, you don't get too much of a big head. And of course, famously, George Lucas said on the on the very sad day your father passed that uh, without Ray Harryhausen, there would likely have been no Star Wars. And that's quite a, that's a really significant I know, statement. It's amazing. Um, it's so humbling that all these these wonderful producers, the the effect Dad had on them. Um, and I think somebody said that he was like the godfather of animation and and that. And what a title! And, and and thank you all so much for honouring my dad. It's just wonderful. Things continue, of course. You have a significant role to play with the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, don't you, Vanessa? Tell us a bit about that. Yes. Um, well, I'm a trustee for um, the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, and we're all trying to just pre- preserve and, and, and put it together in... in to reality, what Dad's wishes were to, um, you know, preserve his wonderful collection, um, educate, do some education out there for the young children who want to do animation. 
um, and show his his beginnings, his humble beginnings. It all started in the garage with his darling parents and who backed him at that time in 19, whatever it was, 1440. Yeah, well, in the mid-1930s, I guess it yeah. would have been when he, when he famously went to see King Kong and it, um, and it changed his life. Yeah. And this is something that I find amazing as well. When you look into what life in America was like in 1933, for your grandparents to support... Ray in the way that they did during the, that time of real economic hardship. I know. And, and, and you know, Granny did the costumes for the Mother Hubbard ones for the um, fairy tales. And Grandpa did all the furniture and everything. So it was a real family thing that they supported their son at that time. So it's, it's, it's amazing. But your father effectively was a child of the Great Depression and yeah. one of the things we've benefited from from that is, of course, he never threw anything away. You know, by modern standards, he'd be considered a hoarder. Um, but of course, what he hoarded wasn't at all rubbish or, or, or junk at all. But all of the creatures, the correspondence, the artwork, the photography, and all of the other sundry items, creating perhaps one of the most significant animation collections anywhere in the world outside of the Walt Disney Studios. So were, were you aware of... Um, his ability to, to recycle and not throw anything away and that sense that he knew the, the, the value of a dollar, I guess, you know, being a child of the, of the Great Depression. Well, yeah, I knew that he hated throwing anything away and he, oh, we could use that, you know, if it was a bolt or something or he'd take some uh, locked pieces and use the bits in it for something else, you know, um, and it, it paid dividends because, um, I mean, look at the collection we've got now. He said to me when we went out to California many years ago, oh dear, there's nothing left in the garage. It's just all crap. And I said, well, we'll go out and see, Dad. You might have left something somewhere. And we came back. With, I can't remember how many boxes. I, th- I don't know if you've got it on. Uh, was it 17 boxes or something? Well, there's at least, yeah, there's at least nine filing cabinets full of un- uncatalogued and yeah, hidden and treasures. Yeah, and, and it, is, it was just amazing. And, I, and when I brought Dad's attention to, to show him what we brought back, he says, oh, I didn't know I had that. And I said, but Daddy, you said that it was crap there. And he says, well, I thought there was. And we found dinosaurs up in the rafters, you know, and sketchbooks and all sorts. So it, it is a blessing that he never threw anything out, God bless him. And it was quite forward-thinking of him in, in a way as well, because yeah. when we think back at famous Hollywood movies like King Kong or The Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind, when a film is finished, much like a theatre production, the sets can often be what's called struck, which means destroyed and thrown away because if you put them into storage at a studio space, the studio will charge a production company a rental fee for for storing. So for most producers, it's an imperative to destroy everything. But your father kept creatures even though he knew that perhaps they wouldn't appear in another film. There are lots of things I wish I could go back in time and and collect some of the the miniature sets and so on, but really was extraordinary forward thinking of him, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was. It, I think his expression was just in case. Well, just keep that just in case. You never know. And and thank God he did because wow, what a collection we're getting together. I sometimes wonder. Maybe you can uh, clarify this. Mm-hmm. But when he visited his his friend and mentor Willis O'Brien, mm-hmm. I think it was in the nineteen forties or nineteen fifties, uh, when he visited the offices at RKO and saw what happened to the the memorabilia from King Kong mm-hmm. or the or the practical effects from King Kong and they'd just been destroyed more or less. There was nothing left. I sometimes wonder if that had a lasting effect where he thought, you know, I, I would, wouldn't want this to happen to any of my work. 
Maybe it did, yeah. Maybe um, he just didn't... I, I think he liked to recycle, so I think that's one of the main reasons he always kept something, because something might be of use in whatever shape or form. So... Um, but yeah, maybe that was with, with the Kong thing. He didn't want to see all the stuff destroyed. So Now this podcast is coming out on a very special day because it would have been your father's birthday today. Um, mm-hmm. And we've got some other very special things planned around uh, this. It would have been his 96th birthday. Is that right, Vanessa? I know. I can't believe it. Gosh, I still miss him so badly and I miss mum too. Um I bet he's causing havoc upstairs with whoever wanting to animate whatever upstairs. But, uh, yeah, we miss him a lot. And we've got some interesting things planned, Connor, haven't we, for this, this week and, and for the rest of this year? Yeah, for, well, for this week alone today, as well as this very special podcast, we're also going to be releasing um, a, a very special behind-the-scenes video of the installation of your father's favourite painting, Jupiter Pluvius, which is now on display at the Tate Britain in London. And um, the Tate have done some fantastic restoration work. So we've put a video together just showing it being uh, being hung and just describing some of the background of the painting and what an inspiration it had on your father's film and on your father's um, imagination. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw, I saw those clips and, oh my gosh, I can't believe the difference in that painting. Dear Mummy was a very naughty uh, lady because we had a very small study, as you all know, and um, she used to shut the door and smoke in there, and I think that's why poor old Jupiter Pluvius got a bit smoke-bound. But the the Tate have done a wonderful, wonderful job, and I am so excited about everybody seeing it because this is one of the things that inspired Dad on the, the sets and that. And I just love the quote from your dad about how it made him think, it inspired him to think big, yes. and, you know, anything's possible. And he, in turn, has inspired so many people to think, feel the same. You know, mm-hmm. think big and just let your imagination yeah. be your boundary. Absolutely. We also have, we'll also be announcing the winner of our Harry Housing One Hundred logo competition, and that has been brilliant. We had logos from fans across the world, and they were also different, and they were also creative. And again, it was great to see how much Ray had inspired people. So we won't spoil it on the podcast. You'll have to look on our, our Facebook and Twitter accounts at Ray Harryhausen. But the we've got some very special our top three, our top five in fact, are fantastic and we're looking forward to showing them all to you. Can I just say quickly, just thank you to you all who put these um uh pictures and, and, and ideas in front and, and th- thank you very, very, very much. You put a lot of effort into it. Yeah, we really enjoyed looking through them. It was a very tough job to choose um, because they were so so wonderful and so creative, weren't they? And uh, just just so people know, if anyone out there doesn't know what we're talking about when we say Harryhausen 100, why haven't you listened to the other podcasts? But if you haven't, um, it's simply the case that in 2020 it would be Ray's 100th birthday. So as a countdown to the centenary, and we have lots of very big plans for 2020, we're trying to do something every year on the 29th of June to... Um, to, to signpost effectively what was his birthday, but also to make special announcements. And it was in Ray's letters of wishes that we work with young people. Stop motion animation is coming back. Photochemical uh, filmmaking is, is kind of slowly creaking back onto the scene. So we have lots of plans that also involve that too. So we encourage people to use the hashtag 
Harryhausen 100. And as Connor says, you'll uh, you'll see them on our Facebook and Twitter feed. Some of the spectacularly good artists who've been inspired by Ray's work and uh, and Ray's legacy. And now also on the first of July, which is the first Friday or the first weekend after Ray's birthday. There's going to be a very special screening of Clash of the Titans at the Cinema Museum in London. But before that, the screening of that fantastic film, John, you're doing something special as well, aren't you? Yes, that's right. I'm doing a sort of 15-minute presentation called Ray Harryhausen and Me, where I talk about having met Ray for the first time in the late 80s. Some exclusive photography is going to be shown. The work of the foundation is discussed and some of our centenary plans are exclusively revealed. Uh, There are tickets available. The Cinema Museum in London. Uh, The nearest tube is Kennington or Elephant and Castle. And that's Friday the 1st of July from 7pm. And then after that presentation, I'll be showing my film school film called Ray Harryhausen, Movement into Life, which was narrated by Tom Baker, the former Doctor Who Tom Baker and and co-star of Golden Voyage of Sinbad. And that 15-minute film has been remastered in high definition. So that will play. There'll be a Q&A session and then a very special 35th anniversary screening of Clash of the Titans. Oh my God, how can it be 35 years? I feel so old. <laughs> it, is, it is. 35 years, but it still, you know, still looks great to this day and up. I would imagine it looks fantastic on the big screen. I can't wait to get a chance to see it in all its glory. Um, and as well as that, and what you mentioned your fantastic short film, John, we have another very special documentary coming out as well. Um, Ray Harryhausen, Special Effects Titan, the wonderful 2012 documentary, finally being released in the USA and Canada. And that will be out by the time this podcast release. That will find, we, we got so many questions about this. Over the last year, when is it coming out? It's finally getting a Region 1 release on DVD and Blu-ray. And that film is a, is a must-see. It's fantastic. It's filled with directors, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, James Cameron, Tim Burton. More than you can possibly name uh, anybody that you can think of. Fantastic directors of the last 50 years are in there speaking about Ray's work. And Vanessa, you appeared as well. That was uh, yeah. the la- I think that was the last time that you did a... Did a public interview, is that yeah. correct? Yeah, so that's correct. You make yeah. a guest appearance too. <laughs> Just, you know, since, since the film's being uh, released in America, what are your thoughts on the special effects Titan? I think it's a, you know, it's a fantastic film, but what are your memories of, of being interviewed for that and then finally seeing, seeing your father being lauded by all these fantastic big names? Well, it, I I think I was in the, the BAFTA thing in London. I can't, I can't remember. And... These two guys came up to me and asked if they could do an interview, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> but uh, we went ahead with it, and, and it was great. And uh, it's it's a wonderful documentary um, uh, with some dear friends and um, extraordinary directors and producers in there. Yes. Tribute to Dad in that really special stuff. Lots of unseen footage and lots mm-hmm. of just interviews, and yeah, it's a jaw dropping interview, and it really hits home what one inspiration Ray's been. Mm-hmm. to so many people he has indeed and there's probably just enough time now connor for us to discuss um what's coming up next because we've got a very special podcast next haven't we yes special because as john mentioned clash of the titans is 35 years old and we're going to be discussing that film ray's final film a film with a fantastic legacy and one that really shaped a lot of people's childhoods so we're going to be discussing that film and we're looking for questions from 
from you, anybody that's listened to this podcast, if there's anything they'd like to hear being discussed about Clash of the Titans or anything to do with the effects or behind the scenes on that film, please tweet us or send us your questions via Facebook um, because that, that's going to be a that's going to be a build. Clash of the Titans. There's there's so many people, so much nostalgia about that film. It had its 35, 35 year anniversary a couple of weeks ago, and we were inundated with messages from around the world on Twitter and on Facebook with people remembering that film, remembering going to see it, remembering collecting the memorabilia. Uh, you were one of those people, weren't you, John? Collecting the Clash of the Titans goodies when you were a youngster. I was. There was a Smith's Crisps promotion. Um coinciding with the olympics where if you ate certain packets of monster munch you could get um a badge and so i spent the whole summer of 1981 eating packets of monster munch so i could get enough tokens to get the badges and uh it's funny when i met your father i showed him the badges and he knew of the promotion but he'd never seen the badges so i gave him a set because i got a double set of badges so you can only imagine how much weight i must have put on eating all of those crisps so um that was fabulous and of course the small figures the miniature figures that um, that looked like Star Wars figures. We have an interesting story about what really happened with Mattel and the Clash of the Titans figures. And alongside that, um, we have exclusive excerpts from the unreleased commentary track from Clash of the Titans, recorded with Ray Harryhausen uh, by myself in his house in around, I think it was, um, 2012. So we have some of those clips as well, Connor. So we'll be hearing from, from all of the key players. It's going to be a good one. Clash of the Titans is, I guess, talk talk about going out on a high. There's so many fantastic creatures in that film, so many fantastic scenes and actors and actresses. It really was a, a big, well-remembered film and it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about it. Excellent. Well, I'd like to say thanks very much to Vanessa Harryhausen for joining us for this very special episode. And thanks to you, Connor, for all your research and gathering all the information. And you can find out more about us online and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Copyrights in the Ray Harryhausen podcast is owned by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, a registered Scottish charity, number SC001419, 2016. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in parts without written permission from the Foundation. The views expressed within these podcasts are not necessarily reflective of those of the Foundation, its trustees or employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at rayharryhausen.com where you can find our Twitter and Facebook links.